We have been looking at the book of Jeremiah together. We've been saying right along, it's not an easy book to read through, and we're talking about a covenant people, the people of Judah, the, the, the impartial tribe of Benjamin down in the south. The northern tribe has been taken into captivity, and God is now warning the southern tribe about impending destruction without repentance. Impending destruction without repentance. The last time we were together, we looked at the two visions that Jeremiah saw in the days of Josiah. Now, it's kind of important to realize that the warning was, out of the north is going to come an enemy upon you. And at this particular place in time, uh, there was no enemy north of Israel. The uh, Assyrian Empire has been almost totally decimated. Uh, they are weak at best. They're not about to invade uh, the south and uh, take Judah. Uh, there's nothing up there. Egypt is the mightiest power on the face of the earth during this time period. So for Jeremiah to proclaim he's coming out of the north, this would have been uh, ridiculed very, very quickly. Now, the uh, Chaldean Empire is growing, but they're not a threat to uh, Judah at this time. So Jeremiah's words are just falling on deaf ears. It would be as if someone said to us, well, there's a, a meteorite coming for the earth. Well, where is it? Well, it's 40 zillion miles away, and it may not come this way. Who's going to pay attention to that? No one. No one. No one's even thinking about that. Well, forget about that business. And that's essentially what they're doing with the, the Jeremiah. They're not listening to him at all. But he's letting them know, listen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen very quickly. And we see that, please, in verses 11 through 14. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, a rod of an almond tree. We discussed that. It's the first of the trees to really blossom. And so it, it shows that spring is on the way. It was the earliest tree to blossom. Not only that, it's a, it was uh, used as a sign of authority by God, as we investigated last week, the last time we were together. So uh, whatever's going to happen, here's part of the vision. You're going to see it coming early. It's going to happen early and soon. In uh, verse 12, the Lord verifies that. He said, uh, the Lord said unto me, Thou hast seen well, for I will hasten to perform it. It's coming. It's coming. Verse uh, 13, the word of the Lord came unto me again the second time, saying, What do you see? And he said, I see a boiling pot, and his face is, its face is toward the north, or real, really facing out of the north, toward us, or toward Judah. And the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of uh, the land. Notice he says, For I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come and they shall set everyone on his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against the walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. So the Lord not only gives a vision, but he describes the vision and what's going to happen within the vision. Out of the north they're coming, and they're coming very soon. Look, look, if you would, at chapter 4 and verse 6 just for a moment. Set up the standards toward Zion. Retire. Uh, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. Again in chapter 6 and just uh, verse 1. Chapter 6 and verse 1. O ye children of uh, Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem. And blow the trumpet in Tekoa, and set up a sign and a fire in Betchi, yeah, let's go on. Uh, for, for an evil appeareth out of the north in a great destruction. Look at verse 22. 
Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people come from the north country, and a great nation shall be raised from the side, uh, sides of the earth. So you get the picture. It's, it's going to come. It's coming from the north. We looked at a map yes, uh, the last time we were together, and we saw that uh, in order to, for an enemy to attack, they could not come from the far uh, east. They could not come across the Arabian Desert. It would decimate any army coming, the Arabian Desert. So they would have to come up by the north and down into the land of Judah. So this north, and that's used several other places in the scriptures. I won't have you uh, look at that. But specifically, God says later on it was the Chaldean people or what we know to be the Babylonian people, were going to come. And they're going to come from the north. And though the Lord is bringing th this Chaldean people upon them, a horrible people, a, a decimating people, he would not allow them to eradicate the nation of Israel. He just wouldn't allow it. And we see that in uh, chapter uh, 4. And look at verse 27 for a moment, please. For thus hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, Yet I will not make a full end. Notice again in chapter 5, in verse 10. Go up on her walls, commanding the Chaldeans. Go up on her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away the battlements, for they are not the Lord's. Take away their protection. Take away their walls. These walls are not the Lord's. When the Lord builds a wall, no one's going over it. Uh, these are not the Lord's walls. These, this is the nation's walls. Again, in verse 18 for a moment, please. Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end with you. He's not going to destroy the people totally. Now, why not? Why would he not do that? Well, it's just this simple, because he made a promise to the fathers. He made a covenant promise to the fathers. To Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he made a covenant promise. David. And he said, I will not make a full end of this people. And you know, it's interesting, just to make a little bit of an application, over the decades, over the years, uh, the thousands of years, there have been a number of nations that wanted to eradicate the nation of Israel. Not only conquer them, eradicate them, kill them, exterminate them, and they've never been able to do it. Why? Well, because God made a promise. He just simply made a promise to his people. Now, Following their captivity, they're going to be dispersed. The land is going to be desolate for a while. Following their captivity, they'll come back to the land, but they'll never, ever be the same. They will never be the same. Let's look just for a minute, please. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. The Lord gives Ezekiel a vision, and this is the great vision of Valley of Dry Bones. Notice, if you would, in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them and round about and beheld there were very many in the open valley and they were very dry. These bones had a marrow-challenged condition. There was, there was no meat in them. They were just dead, dry bones. And he said unto me, Son of man... Can these bones live? And I answered, Lord, you, you know that. And you can imagine, he's saying, it doesn't look it to me, but it's possible, I guess, Lord, you know that. Again, he said unto me, prophesy uh, upon these bones, and, and, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these dry bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put 
breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a great shaking, and bones came together, bone up to its bone. Can you just imagine that? Ezekiel prophesies, and he hears rattling. And all of a sudden, there's bones flying through the air everywhere. Reminds me of the Patch the Pirate song, the knee bones connected to the shin bone, and on and on and on. But he sees these bones flying everywhere, and they finally they come together. Verse 8. And when I beheld those bone upon bone, and they came together, of course, uh, that would, would be for you and I, skeletons laying there. Verse 8, and when I beheld, lo, the sinews of flesh came upon them, and skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say unto the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and, and the breath upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came unto them, and they lived and stood up with their feet, an exceedingly great army. So now they're standing there. Remember, they're coming, everything's coming from the four winds. The bones are coming all back together. And now there's an exceedingly great army standing there. Notice, please. Then, said, uh, then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off on our part. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you out from your graves. And I shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord, and I have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So God said he would restore the people back to the land. And this would be a, a two-part restoration. The first restoration was them from the Chaldean uh, captivity. They would be brought back to the land. And we've already studied that together, and we've seen that. And we recognize, yes, they were brought back into the land, but they were never, ever the nation that they used to be. Ever. They were just a pittance compared to what they were when they were brought out of the Chaldean Empire. And remember our brothers uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, the horror they went through and just trying to get the people to walk with God again. It was a horrible time. There's going to be a second institution back into the land, and I believe that took place personally. Now, you can dispute with me if you want, but that, and that's okay. I believe that took place in 1948 when the nation of Israel was given their homeland again and they became the nation of Israel in 1948. But they're still there, and they're there with life, but no breath. I believe that God is going to put breath in them, and let's look at that together if we could. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. So as you're going through the book of Jeremiah, you're going to come to a place where you're going to see, yes, God's going to destroy this people, and you know, horror upon horror upon horror, is going to come upon them, but God says there's a day when I will put you back in your land. And it's going to be more than just a reinstitution into the land. He says that he is going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. What a wonderful time this will be. I personally believe this is the millennial kingdom. 
the thousand-year period of time in which Christ shall rule and reign on earth with his people Israel. And there will be many, many saved in the great tribulation period. Remember the 144,000 Jewish witnesses will go out in the tribulation period, the last half of the tribulation, and be a witness unto all the world. And out of that 144,000, many people will come to Christ. And I believe that's when it will happen. Let's pick it up, please, in verse 31, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember, Israel's been taken into captivity. Israel is dispersed. God said, I'm going to reinstitute the whole business, the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers, which was a land promise, of course. Not according to that covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God's eventually going to restore them in perfect restoration back into the land of Israel. What a wonderful coming day that is under a new covenant. Now head back with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, but we're dealing with the present situation. And what's the present situation? It's not too good, not too good. The people are in a total rebellion against God, They've seen their sister Israel taken into captivity because of their wickedness. And now they have followed along with the wickedness of Israel. And in Judah and Benjamin are involved in all kinds of satanic sin. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 1. Notice please with me verses 16 and 17. God says, and I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, whom have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Verse 17, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. Wow, that's quite a command, is it not? You better make sure you're doing exactly what I tell you to do, and I want you to tell them all the commandments that I'm commanding. And essentially, what he's saying to Jeremiah, lest I confound thee uh, before them, if you won't do it, I'll replace you with someone else. Isn't that interesting? If you won't do it, I will replace you. Continue on, please. Verse 18. For behold, I have made thee this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against uh, the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee. How would you like that ministry? Not me. Not me. They shall fight against thee. But they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Wow. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. I've given this a lot of thought. He said, they will not prevail against thee. He does not say they will not harm thee. Wow. Remember he told the Apostle Paul, you're going to be a, my witness against kings and 
princes, you're going to be my witness, and I will show you how many things you must suffer for my namesake. Now, there's a difference between prevailing and harming, isn't there? <laughs> when we witness, all authority has been given unto us in heaven and in earth to witness for Christ, but that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy job, does it? He's with us always, but that doesn't mean everyone you speak to is going to love you for talking to them about the Lord. Because somewhere along the line, you've got to let them know that their sin is in need of a Savior. And people don't like that. And people get upset. And what do you expect? You got upset when you heard the truth. So people are going to lash out. And Jeremiah is going to talk to this people about their, the totality of their destruction if they do not repent. And they're going to hate it. And they're actually going to lower him into the sewers of Jerusalem, up to his armpits. Imagine that. It's just one of the things he's going to suffer. But they will not prevail against you. And so Jeremiah now has been given this declaration. He's been given the ability, and now his job is to go out and to speak to the people. Chapter 2 now, please, if you would, in a, for a moment, verse, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Go and cry in the hearings of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, listen, I remember thee, the kindness of the youth, the love of thine espousals, when you went after me in the wilderness, in the land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase, all that devoured him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. So God said, with fondness, I remember what it was like when he brought them into the land, how they followed him, how they worshipped him, how they did what he said under Joshua. And all the elders, they, they, were, they were just following the Lord. What happened? He says in verse 6. Thus saith the Lord in verse 5, What iniquities have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me and have walked after vanity and have become vain? What, what happened? Because God knows what's, what happened, but the question is out there, and it's a striking question for you and I. What happened? How could this have happened? What, what went wrong? Why did you turn from me? And it's a question to incite them to think. God knows their heart. They need to think, what, where did we go wrong? What iniquities? What, what was wrong with our God? What, why, did we why could we possibly do this? How could this happen? What iniquities have your fathers found in me? And you know, it's interesting when you see, sometimes you see Christians walk away from the Lord. What happened? It wasn't the Lord. It wasn't him. It was them. They were wooed by something else. They were drawn by something else, and it wasn't God. It was the, the lust of the flesh in one way or another. One way or another. God had made promises. And look at verse 6. Neither said they, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through the lands of deserts and pits, through the land of drought? And of the shadow of death through the land that no man passed through, where no man dwelt. Remember when they came up from the south and they came up on the 
far eastern side of the Dead Sea. They, they, they were in the Sinai Peninsula, in the wilderness down there, and God protected them. God kept them. No one lived in some of these places. But God uh, marched them through, and he gave them water, and he gave them food, and he gave them protection, and he gave them housing. And they, they didn't think about that. They forgot about that. He said, and I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit of its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my inheritage an abomination. So the, one, the moment they got into the land, what did they do? They began the process of failing God. And it's interesting, I won't have you turn there, but you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a continual warning throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, for example, chapter uh, 6 on and on, when you get into a land and you begin to dwell in houses that you built not, and you drink from wells you did not dig, and you eat from crops you did not plant, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. Over and over and over in the book of Deuteronomy. When you have everything you need, don't forget the Lord. What about us, huh? What do you think communion's all about? It's exactly that reason. You become comfortable in your Christianity and you forget the source. You forget the source of it. I don't know about you, but it's painful to me to see we announce communion's coming and then you hear things like, oh, I, I went away, uh, I was busy, I worked hard the night before, and people don't come out to communion services. And I, I, I wonder. How come it's not important? How come it's not important to you? God said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because you could forget. It, it, it's an important <laughs> service. Don't forget the Lord. Why did you forget me? And God goes on to lambaste his people, Israel. Notice, if you would, uh, for a moment, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. Look at verse 32. Jeremiah 2, 32. What a vivid, this is, this is, this is vivid uh, portrait, if you would. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride forget her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Would a bride forget her wedding dress? Does a young lady go out without checking first, making sure everything's in order? But my people have forgotten me days without number. It's not impossible to forget God, folks. It's not impossible to do it. That's why we have communion services. Why? So we'll remember. Do this in remembrance of what I did for you. And what happened to Israel? When they had it all, they forgot. They forgot the Lord. Frightening thing to think about, yet very, very plain. Turn back with me, please, to Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, we want to keep applying this to us, but remember, who's it written to? Who said it? Jeremiah. God's message to the prophet Jeremiah. Who said it? To whom was it said? The southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And what is the context in which it was said? Their rebellion against God. And their rebellion against God was going to bring a loss of covenant promises to them. That is, they had broken their side of the covenant and they were going to lose the land that God had promised them. This is not salvation. This is not going to hell. This is being torn from their land. Listen, some good people 
were torn from this land. Just read the book of Daniel, right? Some good people were torn from the land. And why were they torn from the land? Because of the bad people, right? So, you know, we need to be careful, do we not? Think about the United States of America. Oh, that, that couldn't happen to us. There's so many Christians here. Well, there may be a few less than we really think, but that does not mean our nation could not be taken. And that doesn't mean God failed us. What it means is God is just in all that he does. All that he does. Okay, now we're back to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. Look at verse 15 for a moment, please. Uh, verse uh, 15, For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms in the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come, and they shall set everyone his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all its walls round about, and against all its cities. So what is God doing now? He's warning, it's coming, it's coming, and Jeremiah is going to be the last voice in this prophecy. He's going to be the last one. Remember, we discussed there were a couple prophets there with him, but they were taken in the first captivity. Nebuchadnezzar came and, and uh, took, uh, through his general, took all of the best of the young men, the best of everything, and brought them back to Babylon. And he's going to come back and lay waste to the entire place. But at this particular point, Jeremiah is the going to be that last prophet to prophesy against the nation of Israel. And he was to warn them. But it's not as if he was the first person. Now, when you're reading through the book of Jeremiah, you're going to read something like this. Rising up early and warning them. You'll see that several times through the book. Let's look at just a couple, if we may, very quickly. Turn with me to chapter 7 and verse 25. Chapter 7 and verse 25. Since the days that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have sent unto you all my servants and prophets rise daily, rising up early and sending them. Yet you would not hearken unto me, nor incline your ear, but hardened their neck, and they did worse than their fathers. Check, look again, please, uh, with me at chapter 7. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 11 and verse 6. Chapter 11 and verse 6. Then the Lord said unto me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the word of, of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly pro, uh, protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. And you'll, you can see this in... Chapter 25, chapter 26, chapter 29, chapter 32, rising up early and warning. So God warned this people right from the start over and over again. And he didn't warn them when it was too late. You shouldn't have stepped in that, you know. You shouldn't have stepped in that. No, he said, don't step in that. He warned them over and over and over again, and yet they continued right on. Now I have to ask myself a question, and... and when I do it, I'm going to do it out loud, see what you think. Has God warned you about some things that you keep on doing? I have to ask myself that. He keeps his word, he keeps his word. Now, we're not going to be kicked out of our land. Remember, we're, we're trying to make a little bit of application here. But realize, when God warns about something, 
it's because he's going to do something. And we experience things like chastening, do we not? We experience things like that. And it's not necessarily physical stuff. It could be. It could be. He warned Corinth, did he not? He warned the Galatians, did he not? I mean, it could be, of course. Okay, now head, head back with me, please, to uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. I only have a couple minutes left here, but in Jeremiah chapter 2, well, look at verse 11. He says, Hath a nation changed their gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Think, he said, think out loud. Has any nation that you know, and he, and he challenges them, go to Kittim and Kedah, go, go to the nations of the world. Has any nation, just in a wholesale exchange of gods, have they dumped their god? Has that ever happened? And, of course, they would have had to say, no, but my people have forsaken me. There's no nation that would do that. Now he says, and what have they done? Verse 12, be appalled, all ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. Why? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, number one, and have the, the fountain of living waters. Of course, that living water has to do with not only that which gives life or has life in it, but with that which gives life. And we discussed that together at another time. The fountains of living water. And what have they done? They've hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold uh, no water. Now, what have they done? Well, they've forsaken God. They've stepped away from God. And what does God want them to do? He wants them to come back. He wants them to come back to him. But he wants their heart. He doesn't want just their, their idol worship of him. And, you know, it was discussed, and I appreciated that, how, you know, we, we can use God's name in vain. But you know, you can also use a Bible in vain. You, you can read it and not do it. Is that not in vain? We're supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We, we can get away from God even though we're reading his word. Listen, there's religions all over the place that read the word of God. There's religions all over the place. My father one time belonged to a, a club when he was in Florida called the Royal Order of the Moose. Now, I think I'm safe saying that around here because I don't know if there's any Royal Order of the Moose around here. I was trying to witness to my father. I said, I know about that stuff. We read Bible verses at every club meeting. Believe me, it was not a religious organization. But they read Bible verses. I belong to a religion that every Sunday they would get up and read Bible verses. They didn't follow any of it, but they read it. So he's warning them, be careful, be careful about what you're doing here. Recognize what you're doing. Now, what were some of the cisterns that they hewed out from themselves, that were broken cisterns that could hold no water? What was some of that? Well, their prophets, for example, their prophets were false prophets, and they believed them. Their priests defiled the temple, and yet they believed them. They trusted Egypt when other enemies came. As a matter of fact, they even gave Egypt money to protect them, which Egypt regularly accepted. A broken cistern that could hold no water. Look, look, let's look and see what God says about that. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Jeremiah chapter 11. Look at verse 9. The Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
so the two southern tribes. They had turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenants which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto their gods unto whom they have offered incense, but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. What was a cistern they hewed out? False deities, false religions, false gods. And when the time of trouble came, those gods could not save them. And when the time of trouble came, the true and living God would not save them. Think about that. Think about that. They had turned their back against God. And there's a time when they'd be crying out, God, save us! And God would say, go to those deities that you've hewn know. I will not save you. And he did not save them. Again, we're not talking about eternal life here. Be careful. What we are talking about is they so buried themselves in a situation. They continued on and on. He removed his hand of covenant blessing from them, and the nation was captured. The gods they were worshiping could not save them, and the god they had forsaken would not save them from destruction. That's a frightening thought. Okay, let's think about this, and we'll just close with it now. Does there ever come a time when it's too late for Christians? Does there ever come a time when it's too late that God will not do anything? You know what the answer to that is? Yes, when you stop breathing. It's too late. All the great things you were going to do, it's too late. All the things you should have done, it's too late. What about for unsaved people? Is there ever a time when it's too late? Yeah, when they breathe their last breath. There's no salvation. There's no hope. It's over. They're finished and eternally damned. So God warned this people, repent, repent. Throughout the book, when you're reading, you're going to see, repent, come back to me, come back to me, return. And you'll read that over and over again. Return unto me, return. They would not. Then they could not. Then they could not. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this is a sober thought to us that the God of all glory will always do right. He, the God of all glory, you, Father, are the one that we worship. We thank you, Father. These things were written for our examples. They're written to remind us who you are and your purposes. And, Father, we recognize that you rise up early and you warn you send your prophets. You have given us your word. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, our Lord Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. You've given us your word so that we might be doers of that word. You've given us your word so we might walk in the power of the Spirit of God through the word of God. So, Father, help us to always be reminded of your love, your kindness, your concern, and yet, Lord, the day's coming when no man will be able to work. Help us to serve you while, there's, while it's yet day. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.